Welcome everyone to Coiscast number four. Um, we have a star-studded panel for you this week. Um, the return of the cerebral and very well-versed demigod. All right. We have an, a second highly intellectual and tactically astute panelist, which is Stortz. Good evening. And of course, the marvellous AC is here to pull this Coiscast together. Hiya. And then to balance things up, uh, we wanted to hear the view of the common man, and um, no one's more common than our third panellist, which is Executive. I don't know who you're talking about, Prof. <laughs> <laughs> so let's crack on. It's a, a large agenda. and We're going to go straight to you, Stoltz, for a review of the Monaco game. Okay, the Monaco game. Um, similar to most of our Europa League games, really. I found it quite tough to watch at times. It was a bit of a strange game. We put out a strong team, which was an interesting approach from Pochettino. But one I actually agreed with. I think it's better to try and qualify early and then rest players for Carabag because we don't really want the first team having to travel all the way over there. Um, we scored a really nice goal. Lovely break. It was good to see Lamella carrying on his good form. Um, great touch down the line. Nice from Chadley. Shame Ali couldn't put it away, but it was good to see Lamella carrying on his run and score. Um, but after that, we didn't really seem to get out of second gear. We had plenty of opportunity to kill the game off, really, score the second goal, and I don't think they'd have come back from that. But we kind of took our foot off the gas and let them come back into the game. Kane, in particular, missed a couple of chances, which I'm sure he's going to be spoken about later on, but he's just not quite with it at the moment. I think that was a big, big thing from the game. We didn't have anybody to come on and just kill the game off for us. But ultimately, I think the away point is never a bad thing, especially in this group. And it's a good start to the campaign, really. Four points. Just need to push on from there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I thought it was... It's quite a fun game to watch, actually. I didn't think it was that boring. I didn't think it was the usual sort of slog that you get with a Europa League match. Uh, it was it was a game where which we've had a lot of this season, where you feel like we probably should have won the game, but then you go, well, a point's not too bad, as is then like the case with Swansea, where you say you probably should have won the game did okay to get a point, tough place to go, exactly the same with Monaco. I thought maybe one criticism that I would have of the team defensively was that we gave up a hell of a lot of crosses. And I think some people have been questioning why Walker and Davis have been starting in the Premier League. And I think you got a pretty clear idea of why that is because of how many crosses Rose, who was quite good on the day, how many crosses Rose and Trippier just allowed to go into the box. It's just a unbelievable amount of crosses going in then we attacked quite well ourselves i thought um yeah it's quite an open game quite a fun game to watch if you can sort of put aside the sort of tension that you get when watching the game uh, i'm not in too much of a position to comment on this game i'm afraid <clears throat> so apparently there's something called uh, the egg chasing world cup on at the moment so i was i, I left the office to go to the pub and uh, it was a, it was just full of welsh and fijian fans everywhere and by the time i persuaded the, the bar lady to put the second half on the big screen i was too pissed to uh, to take much notice so um i can't comment i'm afraid <laughs> on, on that particular encounter <laughs> well- Thank you. Okay, appreciate your candor. And, um, and AC, AC, did you get to the game? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, it's a slightly frustrating sort of second half. Um, we really could have kicked on, but just didn't get that second goal. And we will talk about Kane later on, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. I, I, I agreed with uh, I agree with what Stort said towards the end of his review, which is that you know it arguably. Uh, um, the second best team in the group, um, or 
the best team, yeah, maybe the best or second best team in the group. And for us to get an away point there, that'll do, especially with the team that we put out um, with some of the defects that were highlighted by, by Demigod. Um, I wasn't, I would have taken the draw before the game started. Certainly. I, I think the draw was a good point, but, and I do agree with Demigod. The crossing was definitely an issue. Um, they were getting a lot of balls into the box, and obviously they scored from one. So, yeah, I mean, Traore had a lot of chances. If he was Eddie Good, he would have scored. Thankfully, he's not. So we were all right. Yeah. So that that leads us to um, what sounds like it was executives, at least his second encounter with Welshman in the space of a few days. It um, was. Which was. It was your trip to Swansea. So tell us all about it. Oh uh, yeah, it was a it was an interesting day out. I mean, I, m- I must be honest. We we go every week home and away, and it's uh, it's becoming harder and harder to find the motivation for some of these games, especially when you work so hard during the week, and then you get up early on a Sunday morning to go to Sunderland or Swansea. But it's it's more it's more an evil addiction, a hobby, an illness than it is an enjoyment at this point. But um, not not to detract from the game itself, which is actually a, a really really um, interesting game of football. I thought far more open than I anticipated. Um, opening period, I was actually really concerned. I thought Walker was having real problems with Montero, um, but he actually sort of fizzled him out. He did well not to get booked for his first couple of fouls, and then by the time he, he had his booking, he sort of had the beating of him for the rest of the game. Um, they're a really, really good side. I think Ayu looks a really good player. Um, so, someone we probably should have been looking at, I think, in the summer, if you compare him to some of the wide players we've got in terms of his strength, his desire, his skill. I thought Gomez caused us a lot of problems early on, uh, running in behind the full uh, the centre halves. Um, and then I think uh, you know we obviously conceded a fairly poor goal, got back into it with a quite a fortunate free kick. It was obviously a good strike, but obviously helped by some very substandard goalkeeping by uh, Flappy Han- Flappy Hansky, whatever he's called. Um, <laughs> but I thought I thought this, I thought the second half was was much much better. I thought we moved the ball far quicker, the tempo was better, the impetus was better. I thought Ericsson, goals aside, had his best game probably since Christmas. Um, I thought Dyer was excellent, Ali was excellent. Um, Chadley, bottle job, no good, doesn't add anything. If he doesn't score, he doesn't contribute. I thought Lamella was hit and miss. I thought I thought we missed some at periods. Um, and I think the subs were sort of okay at the right time. I think um, Townsend and, uh, and Clinton ad- added some pace. Um, I, th- I thought the shape of the team was better. I thought we were more direct. But then the final ball from both of them was quite poor. Townsend in particular is quite wasteful, but I do think he gives us something in terms of balance, width, pace, and it puts the puts the opposition on the back foot. So, um, you know, ultimately, actually disappointed to only come away with a point. I thought we had two or three really good chances towards the end of the game. Kane was uh, was disappointing. I must be honest, I saw some um, posts earlier today on Coy saying that he's um, he's a one-season wonder. Or I, I can't agree with that. I think if you look at his movement, if you look at his work rate, he's still a really, really good player. But for whatever reason, it's just not coming off from at the moment. It's just the little nicks here and there that aren't coming off where they, where they were last season. Um, but overall, you know, you'd, you'd have taken, a, similar to the Monaco game, you'd have taken a point before the game, but probably disappointed not to get all three. It, it's Christian Eriksen is certainly quite a weapon as a, as a free kick specialist. And as much as people were, I was looking at the match thread, people were suggesting when we were making our substitutions, you know, midway or into the second half, um, that he should be one of those players replaced. I just don't know how you ever take him off the field when you know what he can do in a moment. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I think I think the only argument is he's obviously just returned from fitness. I think the ninety minute or the or playing in sort of Monaco midweek did him the world of good. Um, I, I think set pieces are clearly one thing because obviously if he's off the pitch, you've got no one really to with any decent delivery. Uh, Lamella, some would argue, has put in a couple of decent balls from free kicks recently, but we haven't got a load of options. And when Ericsson's in that sort of form from eighteen twenty five yards, it's as you know, can be as good as having a penalty. Um, but I guess you obviously have to address the balance of the game and, and see what else he's contributing. But I, I actually thought his general link-up play, the weight of his passing, his movement, his desire was as good as it's been for seven or eight months. Certainly can agree with that. Ericsson has been particularly poor back end of last season, coming into the start of the season. Obviously, injuries haven't helped him, but he hasn't really looked like the player that we needed him to be. The creative spark in between the midfield and the strikers. Um, I think we definitely missed that miss that player that can just link everything up and if he's back to his Swansea form then we're in for a good time the rest of the season because he's just going to get everybody else involved a bit like Modric used to do I don't actually think he is that sort of player I don't think he's as much a, a link man as he is a sort of a finisher in and around the box and I think last the end of last season he was far too deep he was coming searching for the ball coming so far back splitting the centre-backs half the time now against Swansea, he was so high up the pitch. All his best work was right in and around the 18-yard box. He but, is such a phenomenal finisher in and around that area. And I think the times when he's coming back, it's such a huge loss. And he almost doesn't contribute enough to build up play to really justify going deep. So when he is high up the pitch, that is where you want to see him. And I thought the most uh, exciting part of yesterday for me was seeing Ericsson back to his best, where he is in the hall and he's really making things happen. I agree with you. I, d- I don't expect him to be dropping deep. And Modric's comment wasn't in terms of where he's playing on the pitch, but it was. it's like floating between the lines, as you're saying, in and around the box, because he's got the deep midfielders playing the ball into him. He's got players in front of him he can find, or he can shoot himself. And obviously he's an incredible finisher when you give him the chance. So I do, I do agree with that point. I still don't think he's quite master the number 10 role. For, for, for me personally, his best football for Spurs has been playing off the left and cutting inside. But yesterday was the first time I've really, really got excited, even possibly since his debut, um, when he just made everything happen. I don't think he's rekindled that uh, in the number 10 role since, you know, in the, in the last sort of 18 months or so. So if he can carry on in that vein of form, I think we'll all be happy. I think there was... I think before he scored his first free kick, and as you said, executive, I mean, that that first free kick was lucky. I mean, it wasn't the greatest free kick he's ever hit in, in his life. But that changed his game. Before that, I thought he was continuing the, the vein of form he'd showed so far this season. Um, and But as soon as he scored that free kick, it just seemed like a weight came off his shoulders. And from then on, he was absolutely phenomenal. That second free kick was an absolute beauty. I'll just give a quick shout out to Hugo Lloris for that save at the end as well. Yeah, and it was, it was good that Sigurdsson got a great reception as well when he got substituted from the Spurs fans. And I was just disappointed I didn't get my Cole Norton shirt signed by him. So I don't, I don't, I don't know where he was. Where he was, he wasn't even on the bench. But he can, he know, can bear to face us again. They must, they must have one hell of a squad if he can't get in the team. He, he loves the club. He told them. You know, he's the, you know, he's the, se- you know, he's the second best footballing Kyle from Sheffield of all time. So it's, a, it's quite an achievement. <laughs> So for me, I was looking at the game and thinking, when we went one down, it was I was expecting us to fold, frankly, and we came back, great. And then they scored so soon after our equaliser. Again, this is 40-whatever years of support. Makes me wonder, are we going to crumble now? But the fact we came back twice from being behind 
And that's not the first time we've done that in recent years. Um, it was very pleasing, honestly. And, and as you said, Gerard had taken a point at the start. And, did, and, and this felt like a point gained in a way that Monaco felt like two points dropped. So we're going to go to, to Dimi for, I think you had, you had a ton of homework this week, which I believe uh, executives going to grade you on, uh, for your previews of the three upcoming games. Yeah. So first off, obviously you've got two week break, so who knows what could happen this school will be completely irrelevant. Um, yeah, Liverpool first up, which obviously has taken on a slightly different shine now that uh, Brendan Rodgers has been sacked. So, you know, how it's pretty difficult to sort of grasp how they're going to play. Firstly, you know, you'd have to assume that they're going to get that new manager bump where the tool team plays really, really well and it comes right before they play Spurs, which is just kind of typical. Um, I'd say that it seems like the probable new manager is Jurgen Klopp. And he is probably, you know, names like Carlo Ancelotti have been sort of linked with it and even, uh, I'm sure, a coy's favourite of Andre Villas-Boas. Um but yeah, it looks like it's going to be Klopp. And I think he's probably the one that is going to come in straight away and really stick a rocket up everyone, get them playing really fast, frantic football again, which is exactly the kind of football that was, you know, been undoing against Liverpool recently. Um, and in some ways, actually, I'm a little bit glad that Rodgers is gone because he did seem to have our number and Pochettino's number um, in recently. I know, you know, 5-0, we lost at White Lane, obviously, so... And then conceded three times as well, twice last season. So uh, the prospect of Rogers spending two weeks working on overloads and having Sturridge not on international duty, Coutinho's not on international duty, Benteke's not on international duty, Firmino's not on international duty. It was, you know, really strong attack that they could be working on for two solid weeks. I think that's probably why they pulled the trigger on Rogers when they did, because it gives the new manager so much time to work the squad. But this is a team that is, you know, really bizarre because... They've scored exactly one goal in 20 of their last 22 matches. So they are really having trouble scoring, but they are creating lots of chances. They feel a little bit like Spurs, maybe under under Villas-Boas, where there would be a lot of shots from range and the play wasn't particularly scintillating. And then the numbers looked quite good afterwards. But actually, if you're watching the game, it's not particularly great. In terms of how they'll play, who knows? Uh, Rodgers was going with a back three, playing Emre Chan in uh, centre-back which I don't think is is his best position. Uh, Jordan Henderson might be back from injury, who I think is probably their best player, most important player. And obviously Sturridge is starting to hit form. So Liverpool, tough game, but just you know, real unpredictable. You don't know how it's going to go. What do you think, executive, for the Liverpool game? What's your prediction? I thought that was a really good summary, actually. And I, and I think, as, as Dimi said, it's um, it's just typical Tottenham, isn't it? Two weeks before we do to play them, Sturridge is fit and scoring. Henderson's fit. They've got a new manager coming in. Um, and rightly so, we've really struggled against them in the last couple of years. I think that's predominantly been the fact that we struggle against small, nimble, quick players. You know, obviously, I have to look at what City have done to us the last sort of two years as well, up until a fortnight ago. Um, but I think without without Suarez, without Sterling, they're a very, very different side. Obviously, with Benteke there, they're far more direct. I don't think there's much between the two squads. Um, I think Rodgers was obviously uh, the victim of someone who wasted a hell of a lot of money. Um, and hadn't really built on what he'd sort of delivered a couple of years ago. Um, I think it's a really, really tough one to call, um, and I'll stick my neck on the line and probably go for a 2-2 draw. OK, and for you, thoughts? I agree with both of them. It's, I'm a bit disappointed that Rodgers has gone when he did, unlike Dimi, who obviously was happy with Rodgers, had our number. But obviously the new manager effect, especially if it is someone like Klopp, it's going to come in and have an immediate impact. 
the Liverpool squad is, is still a good squad. Maybe not quite top four quality, a bit like ours, but pushing for that. Um, disappointing that Sturridge is back as well. He's, he seems to always play well against us and only manages to stay fit when the Tottenham game's approaching. So uh, a bit worried about it. But at the same time, we're on good form. We've got plenty of opportunity to get at them. And I'm, I'm going to predict a 2-1 win. I normally come in now and give us, you know, <laughs> a very optimistic uh, <laughs> guess at a, a, a win. But we're going to be missing Eric Dyer for this game. Mm. And I don't believe we have anyone who can replace him. And I think yeah. he's got a lot to do with how we've been playing well in in terms of protecting the back four. I think yeah. we're going to lose this one 2-1. Especially now Paulinho's gone to China. Just no ready-made replacement. <laughs> I have the same fears as you do, AC. I, I, and that's it. Might be because maybe I overrate Dyer. I, ha, I just happen to think he's been—he's the major reason that we've done that. We've lost only one game in eight, um, and I do think it will make a difference. And I am—I'm not—I'm usually the eternal optimist, but I am quite fearful for this game, both for the new manager bounce and because we won't have um, Dyer. So then the game after that... Um... Yeah, Anderlecht. Yeah. So Anderlecht, uh, you know, as earlier on Monaco referred to as the second best team in the group. Um, I actually think it's probably Anderlecht. Uh, probably should have beaten Monaco uh, in Anderlecht. Um, but Lucina Traore scored sort of 85th minute. Uh, third in their domestic league. Only lost once. Playing fairly well. They're a, they're a solid side that know how to play against against big teams. Uh, you know they've got Champions League pedigree. They've got some really standout players, Dennis Pratt, for example, uh, Yuri Tielmans, who is also their top scorer. And for uh, fans of Tim Sherwood, the Gilet is making a return in the form of Guillermo Gilet, a 31-year-old midfielder. Uh, I don't know if he's any good, but thought I'd throw in a little pun there for you. Um, yeah, they've been unlucky in both their games so far. Uh, they had three times as many shots against Karabag and still lost uh, to Karabag. So yeah, I think they they must be bottom of the group now. Yeah, one yeah. point. Yeah, yes, they are. So a, a better team than their form suggests, but you know one that you should expect to beat reasonably comfortably. And you'd be disappointed. I'm assuming your analysis says that you'd be disappointed if we don't beat them. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I would, because I think we've had so many... We're at a point now where we've had so many matches where we've drawn and said, ah, well, we played quite well. We should have won. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's at a point now where you have to say, actually, no, it's, t- it's time to, to win the points, get them in the bag, move on. Who have they got playing up front at the moment? Uh, they've got a guy called Okaka, who has, like, three goals this season. Sounds and then, like an Irish-Brazilian. He, he's actually Italian, <laughs> as it happens. <laughs> Was he from Sampdoria? Uh, possibly. I'm gonna let's, go with let's it. Say yes. Yeah, yeah, go with let's it. let's go with it. We can do, take it. Do your homework, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have. Oh, by the way, executive, are you going to the Anderlecht game? Um, no, I'm not. No, I'll, I'll go to the home games, um, and then the away games. You can wake me up for the quarterfinals. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, um, I, I have confirmed. Okay, I came from Sampdoria this summer. Okay. That's a point to Storts. <laughs> And that take, I think that takes us to Bournemouth away, which I uh, um, assume is one that executive will go to and is looking forward to. 
cannot wait. It's uh, it's it's nice 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 to have a new ground actually. We've been few and far between. Sort of obviously you have Norwich, the yo-yo clubs like Norwich, QPR, Sunderland. It's not often we get a new ground to go to. I think obviously we went to the new Cardiff one a couple of years ago, having been to Ninian Park in the FA Cup a few years ago. So actually really looking forward to a trip down the south coast and uh, expect it to be a tough game, good game of football. But uh, yeah, one I'm really looking forward to and one we should be going and getting three points. And Dimmy, who should we be looking out for? Who are the danger men for Bournemouth? Well, they're, they're three danger, well, two danger men are both injured. Um, Bournemouth quite unlucky because they've lost uh, their two biggest club record signings, uh, Mings and Gradle to uh, really nasty ligament uh, injuries and then followed that straight up with Callum Wilson, their top scorer, who's got five goals in the Premier League this season, scored a lovely hat-trick. Um, yeah, he then got ligament damage as well. So they've sort of been defanged a bit and they've now got Glenn Murray up front. My fear slightly is that we don't look particularly great on dealing with crosses or balls into the box and you know, you've got Liverpool who have Benteke out front if he's fit. And then you've got Bournemouth who have Glenn Murray who is pretty effective in the air as well. So that's certainly, I would say, he's probably the danger man. I think probably the the biggest problem to face is just simply breaking them down. They've actually been really, really solid. I thought that they might be a bit too much like Blackpool. Um, last season in the Championship, they played quite an open, quite an attacking, expansive brand of football that doesn't always translate particularly well when they go up a division. Um, but actually, they're really smart players. They've got... Um, Real experience at the back. Only Southampton have given up fewer shots on target. They're solid. They're hard to break down. They've been really unlucky that I think something like 45% of the shots that they have faced have gone in. So they've got, you know, Arta Boric has basically threw the ball into the back of his own net against uh, Watford. So, you know, I don't, don't want to sound like a broken record with these previews. But, yes, um, it's a tough game, tough team, but should have the firepower, especially if Sun's back by then. Um to break them down and beat them. Well, you, that was, thank you. I, I could. That was a perfect segue uh, onto uh, AC really to talk about the impact of of Son's injury and and um, and the impact to the team and the squad of just not having him available. Yeah, um, I think first of all, you noticed straight away as soon as he came in the, the just the sheer work rate and and pace he brought up front for us. Um, and and it it kind of infused the rest of the team because our, our pressing is, was so much better when he came into the team. Um, everyone just wanted to follow him as he just chased down everything. Um, and since he's got injured, our pressing hasn't been as compact. You could see it in the first goal against Swansea, whereby Kane was closing down, Lamella was closing down, and then the left-hand side of Chadley and Eriksson just sort of stood in the middle of nowhere and they were able to basically break through our lines quite easily and get on get on the break um his lack of goals because he brings with him a lot of ability from all sorts of areas uh, especially with the way Kane's playing at the moment um it's it's probably putting more pressure on Kane because I think Sun's you know brought in a, a, quite a lot of ability of taking that pressure off I don't know if that had anything to do with Kane's bizarre own goal, but it's just not happening for him at the moment, and it's looking quite worrisome. And also, not having him in the team then means that we play someone like Chadley, and it's a very stark comparison in terms of work rate and pressing. And it 
doesn't round the team off very well in terms of flank press. Do you have any update or do you know how long he's likely to be out for? There's been no real confirmation. We've heard reports ranging from two to three weeks up to six weeks. Yeah. So it's very difficult to say at this point. And that's a big difference given the international break coming up. Yeah, it could give us enough time to get him back, but it could also mean that he could still be out for another three weeks. It, it's um, it's almost like th- those of us who said we need another striker could have been right. Fancy that, eh? Yeah, shocking. shocking. It, 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 yeah. Um, I'm not going to go too far down that road, I think, because um, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it feels like, certainly on Coy's, um most... Most coisers have been saying for a long time, get another striker. We need another striker. We really need another striker. Um, and either we're brilliant and there just aren't any strikers around for management to get, or we're missing something in the setup and the system, um, which is sort of going to lead me to to use thoughts for, for an analysis of... Um, of Poch's tactics in general, and and especially his use of subs, which has come in for a lot of criticism on Coyes, um, and comparing his tactics this season so far to those employed last season. Okay, I think this is a one I'm really looking forward to listening to Dimi on. Um, from from the initial point of view this season, though, the main change is obviously Dyer's introduction into the holding role. I think a lot of people on Coyes and Spurs fans in general have been crying out for that holding midfielder for such a long time now. As long as I've been following the club, we've needed somebody there. And Dyer's introductions just freed up so many different options for us. The way he's able to just drop into the back four and let Vertonghen play his natural game, striding forward, um, alongside Toby, who similarly plays a lovely raking crossfield ball. Um, but I think Dyer's just everywhere on the pitch, isn't he? You look at the man of the match votes, he's always up there. You may not even notice him sometimes, but I think that's it's a, it's a good sign for him. He started to work on his ability to play the ball as well and I think that's something he's going to need to learn it's great that he's involved and holding and breaking up play but just being able to pop the passes off and keep things moving is going to help us in the future Um, the main change there obviously is from last season when you had Bentaleb and Mason Dembele, Paulinho it it just wasn't quite the same we always looked a bit suspect through the middle teams could run through us and we wouldn't have that solidity we have now and it shows with our defensive record. Obviously, we conceded two yesterday, which doesn't really help my argument. But we definitely look more solid. Whether that's we scored one of those, to be fair, we did score one of those. So if, we, if we're putting it that way, we had a nice three-one <laughs> win away from home. <laughs> um, the other change with the uh, defensive solidity is Davis coming in, and everyone can agree that Rose was superb last season. I think he won over so many of his critics, Mister Consistent. But Davis being first choice in the league is. He's gone a bit under the radar, but he's just more disciplined than Rose. And with his partnership with Walker, whereas Walker's obviously more attacking fullback, I think it's given us the balance we've needed back there. And I'm actually really enjoying us watching us defend at the moment. We're not we're not perfect, and we make mistakes still, but it's definitely work work in progress and certainly improvement. So I'm happy with that. Um, going forwards, I think there's more fluidity between the front three players. Um, I've seen them interchange more this season. Lamella's popping up on the right and the centre on the left. Chadley the same. You see them, I think Son's introduction has helped as well because he's able to play across the three. Um, and the way Kane likes to drop in, it's given, us, it's given us the more movement and flexibility up front, which has helped us out with scoring goals recently. As you touched on earlier, Kane 
he needs someone to rotate with. I think it's going to be a recurring theme of the uh, season and it's something we may look back on again in May and just say if we'd got that extra striker where we could have been. But I guess it's not something to dwell on. Hopefully he finds his, finds his form again and he's, pl- he's playing well enough. He just needs, just needs the goals and in the right end. Um, finally, on to your point of subs. It's an interesting one and he does get a lot of criticism. Yesterday, I didn't think they were the best, but at the same time, I agree with the executive earlier. Um, I think Townsend got a lot of stick on Coys and, and around the community. But I thought his introduction was, was good. It gave us pace, gave us directness. Yes, he needs to still work on his uh, decision-making, but I, I liked that. Against Sunderland, Pochettino's changes completely won us the game. Um, he brought on some attacking players, freed up Mason to get forward. Obviously, Lamella comes on, plays the pass, scores. Townsend changes the game. So, it's an interesting one. I think Pochettino's subs do seem quite premeditated. He seems to like making them at certain stages in the game. They're not always the best, but I, I've been very impressed with how we've started the season. We didn't always have things go our way early on, but I like the way Pochettino's got us playing, and it, it's good to see. I Basically, I, I'm very much someone who likes having a system that the players can get used to. Something that's often talked about is is the level of intelligence of footballers. Um, they're not exactly the brightest. And if they're going out onto the pitch knowing exactly what they're meant to do, then it makes it much easier for them. And I think it makes it much easier for us as a team, especially considering the level of intelligence that we have in our team, which I think is quite low when you compare it to certain other teams. Who are you referring to there? Surely not Carl Walker. <laughs> I can't be Carl Walker. <laughs> who, who would even think Carl Walker? Carl Walker is a bit of a fool when it comes to <laughs> what he's meant to be doing at certain times. But, and I, I think the improvements he's been showing recently has had a lot to do with the fact that Pochettino has been probably drilling and hammering him quite heavily in terms of what he should be doing. And you do see it quite a lot from the sidelines that if someone's not doing what he's meant to be doing, he tells them exactly what they should be doing. And I I like that as a system. I do see that some people do have complaints about, you know, his ability to change the system. But I don't think you can rely on a manager that relies on altering tactics against teams, because it's it's either hit or miss. It's it's never going to be a consistent system that's going to consistently win against teams. I think I think there's been significant improvement in the last month. I think if you'd asked me at the start of the season, or based on last season, the football was turgid. We you could count on one hand the amount of games we played well last season. I think a manager will always be under more pressure when the home performances are so dismal. Um, I think last year away uh, we, we were good away. I think we won nine or ten games at home. Bar Chelsea and Arsenal, which were two of the best games we've had in the last sort of five years, the rest of the football was dreadful. So he's making a rod for his own back if we're playing terrible football at the lane. Um, and then the start of this season, I thought people thought we deserved a point at United. I thought they, I thought the game was easy for them. We didn't threaten them. I thought we were poor against Stoke. I thought we completely capitulated. I thought we were poor at Leicester. But then if you look at the last four or five league games, I thought we were good against Everton, good against Palace, um, good against, great against City, good against Swansea. And all of a sudden, like because the, there's more pace, there's more impetus, we're moving the ball quicker, um, things seem to be taking shape. And I think the introduction of some, I think Dyer's stint in midfield has just been an absolute revelation, as Stort said before. Um, so I think there's definitely some positive signs there. However, 
he does seem reluctant to change. I don't think he's ever made a tactical substitution at half time before. Everything seems premeditated after 60 minutes. We, we, every time we're defending a corner, he brings everyone back, even if we're 2-0 down with five minutes to go. There's just some things he seems very, very AVB-like and very reluctant and arrogant to change. But you can't really argue with the form of the last sort of five or six games, and it's, uh, it seems to be taking shape. So you know, we'll just have to wait and see how things progress over the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as making changes, or as is the case, not making changes goes, I think every manager goes into the into a match thinking that they've picked the perfect team for the occasion. And I think maybe with Pochettino, one of his, I don't know if it's necessarily a fault, is that he knows that his side are fitter than any other. And he knows that at some point, we are going to take advantage of our fitness in the 60th minute, in the 70th minute. If he takes someone off before then... You know, they could make a huge impact in that final 20 minutes, 25 minutes, just based on their superior fitness. So I think he's always inclined to give players a little bit more time, even even if, you know, sometimes you think this player should absolutely come off. I think he's always inclined just to see if they can sort of just nudge ahead fitness level-wise, intensity-wise of the other team. Um, so it's so, a so separate point on subs. One thing I really like about uh, Clinton and G is... Uh, how much of a specific type of player he is. I think one big weakness we've had, especially compared to the bigger teams, is that we haven't had really specific types of players for specific occasions and situations. And I think what I like about uh, Clinton, I can't even be bothered to say his surname, I don't know how he, he manages to pronounce it without doing the N and yet still making an N sound. But he's so quick and he's so good at running in behind the defence. He's got a little bit of a sort of Sadio Mane vibe. And I think we've really lacked something like that off the bench. I think Townsend is a player that you think could do it, but doesn't. He's a sort of Townsend's a player who gives the illusion of doing things without actually those things then happening. So he'll look dangerous, but the danger never comes to fruition, really. Um, and G looks like he's got the ability to, you know, be a little bit more productive, really. Um, overall, I think to create like a consistent side, I think you have to have this really solid you know, foundations laid down. And I think as much as the football can be uh, prosaic at times, I think it is a really good fullback level and style of play that you know that they can win playing that sort of style of football. And a lot of other teams, maybe they don't have that ability to go back to sort of like a default position, a default way of playing. Um, so I do sort of sympathise when people say it's, you know, terrible football because you have to have that sort of solid foundation and then, you know, your peaks from there can be so much larger rather than it working the opposite way around where you're falling below your level. The defence, obviously, as, as Storz mentioned, it looks so much more comfortable. We've played five of the seven teams that are above us in the league and we've got the, the joint best defensive record. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really positive about everything at the moment. I think we're playing well, we're creating chances, we're not scoring as many as we should, look really solid, just look like an actually really complete team. And having watched a lot of the other teams that we're going to be competing against for top four, I think there isn't a team that is... Well, Man City and Arsenal aside, there isn't a team that is obviously better than us. There isn't a team that is obviously more entertaining to watch than us. So you've got to be pretty happy with that. And then, the, you know, the one team that you do say is, you know, light years ahead... You, beat them 4-1 so I'm, I'm pretty happy at the moment it doesn't matter how many times you say that it still makes me smile that the 4-1 it's still, I'm still enjoying it weeks later you know what Prof that was, that was the first home league game I've missed in, I missed in 11 years don't come back uh, well that, that, that's, that's what my dad said to me <laughs> um, so I guess talk, we were talking earlier 
about how much you were enjoying or you looking forward to the trip down to Bournemouth because it was something new for you, a new experience, um, which is why I was asking you whether you were going to go to any of your away European games because I had this feeling you hadn't been to Carabag before either. No, um, I hadn't. And to, to, to be honest, I mean, we, we became sort of Champions League snobs, I think, to an extent. So yeah. we effectively went to every Europa League away game under Yol, under Ramos. Mm-hmm. We did some trips to Krakow, to Besiktas, to Prague, to Anderlecht. To, I mean, there was about 15, 20 of them. I think we did in sort of four or five years. And I think it's uh, more personal circumstances and uh, commitments away from football, um, as well as a, a snobbiness to wanting to come forth that have uh, sort of detracted from our desire to, to attend some of these games. And I think when Redknapp came in, started playing weakened teams, we didn't really take the competition seriously. Um, you know, we just couldn't really justify spending 600 quid on a day when the club weren't bothered about it. Um, but for me, as you know, going away from home is just a different experience. I think it's the atmosphere. I, I personally prefer standing up during a game. I think people are more sort of aligned. I think there's infighting at every club, but I think perhaps less so away from home because obviously everyone's making an effort to travel hundreds of miles and spend a lot of money to go and watch a game of football. Um, and for me, the performances away from home the last sort of four or five years have far outweighed the performances at home as well. I actually feel a bit sorry for, the, for those that only go to the home games because I don't think they've been served up much excitement um, in recent seasons. Um so I think, you know, as, as I say, I think I think I think the atmosphere, the performances, the the fact that we're actually set up to be quite good on the counter attack as well um, has played an impact. And I think we've won, I think about thirty thirty five games in the last three and a half seasons away from home, which you know when I was watching Tottenham ten years ago away from home was unheard of. We'd be lucky to win four or five a season. But the away experience for you isn't, is it? I assume it isn't just about the result of the game. There's so much more to it that makes it different from home games. I think I think this is where I differ, and it's probably not what not ah. not things pointing away not what you want to hear. So for, so for me <laughs> uh, and, and the boys I go with, it's a results driven business. I mean, I can give you I can give you some stories from when I was in my twenties when we used to get up to on the road. But um, <laughs> whether or not you guys want to hear that either, I don't know. But um, for me for, for me, it's a results driven business. We're, we're straight in, we're straight out. I'd rather travel to Sunderland for a Monday night kick off, draw nil nil. Then obviously go to Crystal Palace on a Sunday afternoon and lose six five, um, and then I've had to drive to Sunderland again on the Tuesday night. I'll do it. Um, so, so, so for me, it's a results driven business. I think the, the Europa games, people would go for the trip. I don't think you'd go that way just ju- just for ninety minutes of football. Um, so, so for me, it's a, it's a results business. But I, I, I do enjoy it because I just think the atmosphere is better, um, and I think the in general the performances away from home have been better than they have been at the lane. I was thinking about something uh, you said earlier, uh, Dimmy God, around the fact that we have played a number of the teams above us in the league, and yet we still have, I think, the, the equal fewest goals conceded, if that's correct. Um, and, of course, a large part of that is the fact that Toby, uh, Jan and um, Eric Dyer have played every league game. And that's given us, and obviously Hugo, it's given us that um, stability. Now, with Dyer about to, to miss a game, I was wondering about you know comparing and contrasting where we were last year, where many fans, certainly on Coys, and I think beyond that, uh, were getting quite excited about the Bentaleb-Mason partnership. 
And now we have the Dyer Alley partnership. And I was wondering whether you um, could sort of compare and contrast their strengths and weaknesses and, and which one you prefer and why. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, first, it's quite easy to sort of forget about how good Bentelab, especially, and Mason were last year. Um, I mean, Bentelab pretty much single-handedly dominated the North London derby. Um, it's such a tough one to call there because they are, obviously, they're all such young players. Bentelab, Mason, Mason especially, you almost think of him as, you know, having been around for ages, but you know, this is his second season um, as a Premier League player. Obviously, it was this time last year that he was getting his Premier League debut. So, incredibly young midfielders and very, very different players. Bentaleb, you would say, is maybe the most all-rounder of the, of the lot. Tenacious, can get stuck in a little bit, good, really good passer of the ball, aside from, obviously, Old Trafford, where he uh, passed it straight to a red shirt. They were a really nice balance, I thought, last year in going forward because they both had really nice play on the ball. Uh, Mason especially is probably, I would say, has the most vision of any of our midfielders and the best passing range. I don't know if that's necessarily something everyone would agree with, but he, for me, Mason is the one that, from an attacking point of view, you have to have in the side. And then from a defensive point of view, you have to have Eric Dyer. Um, the relationship between Dyer and Ali is one that I am not entirely sure works. I'm not entirely sure Bentaleb and Mason works because obviously you don't really have the defensive shield. So you've got a slight imbalance there in terms of who's sitting. You don't have that at all with Dyer and Ali. And obviously Ali is much more of a box-to-box midfielder. Um, sometimes I think it can leave us a tiny bit open, even though you have got Dyer providing the protection. I think ideally it's it's one of each partnership. I mean, I like them both. But I think if you were to say what is the perfect Spurs midfield, I think it's one it's Mason and it's Dyer and then maybe Ali higher up the pitch. But yeah, in terms of sort of ball retention and everything, I mean Eric Dyer's been absolutely phenomenal. I think sometimes, you know, sort of to, not to bring up Tim Sherwood for the second time in this podcast, but um <laughs> obviously he had this idea that you know, you could have two players that were both attacking. It was just a case of one instinctively sitting when the other one got forward. And he, I remember he cited right after uh, Chelsea had beaten Manchester City at the Etihad. And Nemanja Matic had done this unbelievable sitting job. And for some reason, Shell thought this was a prime time to cite how good Yaya Torre and Fernandinho were as sort of two box-to-box players, both sort of simultaneously getting forward and defending. When in actual fact, you know, the, sort of the night before, it had been Nemanja Matic just sitting there shielding. That had been absolutely phenomenal and, you know, brought the entire balance to the game. I think that's exactly what Dyer does for us. But it's not just about what he does at, defensively. Yeah, I think what gets overlooked is how much freedom he gives everyone going forward. And if we're improving going forward, I think it's because of how much freedom and security Dai gives. And he's also really good. He's really good on the ball as well. I think only Vertonghen's got better pass accuracy. Uh, only Azawiru plays more passes per game. So he's, he's got really good metronomic passing in there. Yeah, I, I I would be inclined to say that the Dai Ali partnership. If you if you've got to choose between the two, I prefer the the Dai Ali partnership. I completely agree, and I've got exactly the same. I think Dai is a a prerequisite. I thought Demi was talking about Matic before. I think Matic is the one player that Dai really reminds me of. Just the way he strolls around the pitch. He's not a Makaleli that just sits there. His 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 awareness and his interpretation of recognising danger is brilliant and how he strides around and I think his passing's improved significantly in the last sort of five weeks as well and then you have to play Mason because Mason's the only one that passes the ball forward with impetus um, but 
for me, Mason's a very good player. He's not a top, top player. And this is why I'm baffled we were never in for Kabai because I think a kabai dyer partnership would have been one that would have taken us on another level yet. AC, your thoughts? I think Dyer is pretty much always in, in the midfield that I would put. I really lo- would like the idea of, in certain games, playing a 4-3-3 formation with Dyer sitting and... Ali and Mason ahead of him. I just think the dynamic sort of forward play that that would bring would be so like really interesting. It's just what you play ahead of that, whether you go for a Kane, Clinton and Son front three, or if you get some more sort of attacking midfielders in Ericsson and Lamella involved. I don't know, but I just think it could be very interesting. I think, and I want to come to you, Storz. I, I, I've been having similar thoughts um, to AC around how, Assuming that the back six, which in, in, including Dyer, um, is set, you've really got too many players for too few slots ahead of them. How do you pick between Son, Lamella, you know, Mason, if you want to put him in, um, Clinton, because I won't say his last name, um, uh, Ali, uh, Chad, well, not so much Chadley, but Ericsson. You know, how are you going to fit them all together? What's the best configuration of the five five people in front of Dyer, as far as you're concerned? I think it depends on game-by-game basis. I don't think you can select your five straight away. I think it depends who you're playing. Um, going back to the point earlier, obviously we all agree Dyer's absolutely brilliant and he's there. Um, I don't quite agree with the calls for Mason to be in there. I appreciate he's got his place and I do like his forward drive. But Deli Ali's four years younger than him. He is. If you watch them at MK Dons, you ask any MK Dons fans if they do exist... He is better sitting deeper than he is in the 10 role. Um, I think he's one of the future futures of the club if we can keep him. And I think we need to keep him playing next to Dyer, keep him playing deeper because he can develop into that box-to-box midfielder that would just offer us so much going forward and going back. Um, the, the forward four, above them, I think it does depend on the game. Um, I think you need to get Ericsson in there. You need to get Son in there. Kane's obviously got to start. And then you're looking at one place between Lamella Chadley, Townsend. Then if you want to play Mason, maybe push him a bit forward. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's something you can just agree on and set in stone. Just need to see the opposition, see what sort of game plan you need. But then how do you fit in um, Clinton? I don't, I don't think you do at the moment. To me, he looks, he looks very raw. Um, I saw one call asking whether he'd ever played football before. And <laughs> that, that was a bit harsh, but I mean... You see some of his some of his efforts and goals, some of his decision making. Um, I know Leon fans were questioning. Said he's obviously he's got the raw attributes. He's quick. He's got a good touch, but he's just he doesn't seem to make the right decisions at the moment. Bar his ball against uh, City for Lamella. So at the moment, I think he's perfect just as an impact sub. Change the game for us. Come on, use his pace. I think you have to remember how inexperienced he is in terms of playing football. Although he's obviously older than quite a few of the players we've got at the moment, he hasn't played top level football for that long. Well, this is the moment where I need you guys to persuade me of something. This is this is me asking the panel. So, historically, I'm I'm not one for for loving or hating any players. I want them all to do well. So um, it's been it's been many years since I've really felt that strongly. But over the time that I've been supporting the club, there have certainly been players who it baffled me as to what many other people saw in them, and and I knew it was likely to be be me that was wrong and my assessment that was incorrect because so many others appreciated them and I didn't. I can even go back to the days of um, 
someone like Justin Edinburgh, who got 300 games for Spurs, and I never understood why he got three games, let alone 300. Um, there was someone, someone like Canute. I mean, I could see he had skills. Lots of people liked him. I just didn't get it. It wasn't that I disliked him. I just didn't get the love. Adebayor, even in his year with us where he played well, I couldn't see the skills that other people could see. So my question for all of you is persuade me or agree with me. Um, what is it that Moussa Dembele brings to either the first team or the subs bench that no one else does that is important enough to occupy one of those places? Who's going to jump in? Because I'm on your side. I don't, I've never rated Dembele. Um, oh, okay. And I know he's 50-50. Some people have him. I don't really see him as a viable option. He doesn't offer anything. There was a lot of promise there in his early career. He looked like he could be that player, forward player, link the play, get goals, get assists. But he just doesn't do anything. He dwells on the ball. He gives it away. He doesn't really offer us anything. Like yesterday, he came on. What did he do? He, he, for me, he changed. We had impetus going forward. We looked like we were going to go on and win the game. And Dembele's introduction kind of killed it for me. In fairness to Dembele, he did just come back from injury. So, yeah. A little bit harsh to go in two-footed on him over that. Um, I think that he performs two specific roles really effectively. One is the sort of advanced destroyer role. And he was really, really good at that sort of tail end of last season until it went a little bit uh, awry. At, I think we were at home to West Ham and he had a bit of a terrible game. Mm. Um, but I think in that role, he is really, really good. He started the season quite well as well um, because he is so athletic. He is so... Um, keen to play the pass, he's good off the ball, his movement is quite intelligent. He also is this weird hybrid player where he's not exactly excellent at anything. You know, striker to attacking midfielder to defensive midfielder, now we're putting him back higher up the pitch again. Um, But yeah, I I like him in that advanced holding role, I just think he needs to be fully fit to play it. And I like him, the idea of him coming on to close out matches as well, because obviously he is quite slow on the ball, and it is a little bit frustrating because he can take the sting out of our own play but he can also take the sting out of the match and I think if he was you know in Mourinho's squad anytime Mourinho was going 1-0 up he'd be bringing Dembele on just to sit in front of the defence so I think there's there's a role for him in that capacity I wouldn't necessarily be starting him every week but and I don't think he's ever going to be the player that we thought we might be getting when he was at Old Trafford for Fulham and absolutely dominated the game but I think he's a useful player especially in terms of the squad and what he brings can play in multiple positions can shut down a flank if you want to put him in there and sort of like a destroyer all on either flank. I like him a lot. Yeah, I, I, I think the frustration with him, not too dissimilar to perhaps Jonas with some people, in the sense that he's capable of so much more, but he just doesn't do it enough. And if you look at his first six months for Spurs, when he played in a 4-4-2 alongside Sandro, that's, that was the season we were really, really flying until Sandro got injured at QPR. Um, and then, but then Bailey's just not done it for... 18 months, bar the occasional good game. I think he was brilliant at Anfield last season. But when you look at the goal he scored at Leon, he's capable of doing it. But he's just so insistent on doing things at his own pace. But he's got the attributes in terms of the physical nature. But in terms of his just footballing brain and ability to make things happen quick enough, he's just not got it. And I think when we've got, we're talking about Dyer, Ali, Mason, and Bentaleb. For me, Dembele is now surplus to requirements if we can get a decent bid, but I wouldn't have said that in the summer. I really like what he brings in terms of away matches in Europe, where you can also almost allow for his pace. And he also has this ability just to play really, really well in certain matches. 
I mean, I think of the you know the game when he dominated Yaya Torre, uh, the amazing games he's had against Man United in the past. But that's what makes him such a frustrating player because you know that he's got this game in him. He just doesn't do it anywhere near consistently enough. That's interesting because it sounds like three of us um, don't think that he's worth taking a, a place either in the first eleven or on the bench. Uh, one feels that he should be on the bench because he's a useful asset um, to bring on late in a game, or maybe two of you do. Um, and, and that fairly mirrors the split in Spurs fans. And I, I brought him up because I have this sort of visceral fear that a player who I thought was going to be excellent for us could be drifting into that um, area of uncertainty, uh, which is Nasser Chadley. And I wonder what your thoughts are. Do you have similar fears and concerns? I've never taken to Chadley, ever. And I think that stemmed pretty much from his debut at the Emirates. Obviously, you don't write a player off after one game. But you can tell an extent about their character. And he just did not want to know. He didn't want the ball. He didn't want to win the ball. And him and Paulinho, very, very early on, identified, as, as mentioned before, bottle jobs. And one thing, as a fan, you can't tolerate when you're paying a lot of money as people not trying and not wanting to get involved. And for me, if Chadley doesn't score, he doesn't do anything. And he's a huge, huge frustration. I said earlier that uh, Townsend gives the illusion of being dangerous. I think Chadley gives the illusion of working hard. I think he feigns to chase after balls and he goes after you know, the easy the easy players that you can close down. He doesn't necessarily put the hard yards in off the ball. He's so bad at tracking runners as well. The number of goals that he cost us last season um just by switching off completely um i don't i see originally i really didn't like him at all but then he, he did grow on me i think he is a dangerous player in certain matches i think that he will always get you goals i just worry that in general build-up play he's not quite got a lot to him and when lamela's playing as well as he is um when ericsson's coming back into form uh, when Son is, you know, sort of bringing this infectious energy everywhere, and then you've got Kane up front, I just don't know if there's a place for him. And then obviously, you know, ideally I'd like to see Deli Ali played higher up the pitch as well. So I think he's, again, as with Dembele, I think he's just a really useful squad player, and I don't think that's something to necessarily turn your nose up at. I think if you've got someone that can come on the, off the bench and get you a goal, that's a perfectly valid player and a ver- perfectly valid uh, contribution. I would agree with that about Chadley. I mean, I was actually one of the few people who stood up for him after his first season. I thought you could see there were like natural attributes there, which he had all the potential to be a good player. And then he had that season last year, he scored a lot of goals. And there's still criticisms about his work rate, and I fully accept those. And again, this season, he's, he's not started well. He's, when he doesn't score goals, as Jake said, he's just not really offering anything to us. But he is a good option to have from the bench. He's, he's tall, he's got a bit of pace. He knows where the goal is, and so he's definitely someone to keep around in the squad, but we can improve on his position in the first team. It really annoys me because if you look at, you know, because he's, he's, he's got a really good cross on him, he's got a really good shot on him. If he just put in the work and he just tracked players and he chased players down, he'd be a really good first-team player. Yeah, I, I, I tend to feel the same. Um, it, it, it's not a lack of skill, it's a lack of... I don't know if this desire or work rate or there's something missing um, that that sometimes shows up occasionally in some games, but for the most part is is absent. Um, so that's that's all we have time for for Coys Cast number four. I'd like to thank um, our wonderful panel, 
of Dimmy God, Executive and Stortz, and of course the incomparable Eggsy. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. Come on, you swear. Come on, you swear.